Line! <laughs> Hello, and welcome to the Four Color Nerds Comics Podcast. I'm Christina, and I'm joined by the other nerds, Carissa. Hey, yeah. Ryan. Hello. And Rory. Yeehaw! Together, we take on this week's comics. Each week, we divide the comics and gather here to discuss them. This is a review show, so there will be spoilers. If you don't want to hear spoilers, take a break now, go read your books, and then come on back. Each week, one of us picks our favorite book, and that's our pick of the week. This week, I am that nerd. The pick of the week, shocker, is Clean Room number nine. Our companion son is Du Haas by Rammstein because Du Haas, Du Haas needs. Exactly awesome German metal, and the lyrics totally fit. <laughs> I've actually had this song kind of prepared for Clean Room pretty much <laughs> since the first issue. This song has been in my head. So Clean Room number 9 by Virgo Comics, written by Gail Simone, art by John Davis Hunt, colors by Quentin Winter. We last left Astrid being shot, fucking shot, and believed to possibly be no longer alive. She's barely alive. She's on the surgical table. The first page is fucked up because it looks like she's sliced in half. Mm. Why would... Why? Nightmares already? Uh, I, th- I think it's because they're doing a procedure where they're draining the blood from her heart because the blood is, is crushing her heart. So they are cutting her open, but they're not cutting her face open. No, they're not cutting her face open, but they show you cutting her face open, which is yeah. horrifyingly horrible. The first cover, the little word bubbles, the best one is it's harvest time in the meat hospital. That was my favorite. Oh, so creepy. God damn it. <laughs> Set the tone right away. So bad. We're in the clean room. We've got Astrid on the table. Chloe brought in her special creepy friend, Sparky. Spark. In with her. And, of course, Blondie is ready to shoot Chloe. What's Blondie's name? It's creepy as fuck. Chloe has Spark, Sparky do. And it's even creepier in the... If you read the voice in, like, the creepiest fucking voice, because his word bubbles are so fucked up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh my god. Yeah, you'll feel a little prick, a little pricky prick. That one got to me. There were there yeah. some good lines in here that were just creepy as fuck. Yeah, there were so many lines in here that were just like, well, I'll hear that in my nightmare tonight. Yeah. <laughs> Yet again, don't read this book before bed. Or at lunchtime when I was eating it with spaghetti. That was good times. <laughs> but the, like, the cut open face and then Sparky going into her body and actually basically saving her life by pulling out the bullet casings and all the chunks of the bullet, which was very, very cool of him. However, she seriously fucks him over, fries him to death, and he is no more. That was kind of sad in a way, because we actually came to like him, and, you know, Chloe kind of rationalized it. It seemed like he'd actually been saved himself. Speaking of one of those great lines, there's uh, a line where they, what is it they said, where they got rid of the evil in him. They gospeled the dark shit right out of him. (laughs) Right. He was like a skin writer demon before, but they got him out of who he was in and then also Mm -hmm. saved him as well. Which also doesn't make sense to me because I feel if you've been fighting these things, having one on the inside that you can study that is cooperating with you would seem like a bonus to learn things, more things from them. Because he's not going to try to like move eye holes around like the other one that she had captured. He's sitting there, he's... 
He's well, actively participating. He's actually helping. She says that you can't trust right. them, that they're liars, mm-hmm. that they invented lying. So I was actually going to ask you, Rory, you, you work with a lot of electricity. So they fry him with 60,000 volts. How much electricity is that? Because it destroys him. That is a shitload. Is it 1.21 gigawatts? <laughs> to give you an indication, electricity can... It's like fart, third rail. <laughs> much, much, much worse. Uh, so electricity can arc up to one inch per thousand volts, right? If you have 60,000 volts... <laughs> 600 inches, right? That's 12, 50 feet. Yeah, think mm-hmm. about that. <laughs> That's a long way to arc. Basically exploded. How ironic that his name is Spark and he gets killed by <laughs> electricity. I'm thinking he's not going to be dead, though. I'm, I'm wondering. I don't know. He's a puddle, but... He seems like he's a pile of dust. Yeah, I thought that too, that yeah, like, it has to be another way. Maybe so. he jumped into someone else at the last. Probably not, but I was holding out hope. We'll see. It all depends on whether they, like, disincorporate or whatever, you know. I don't know. I haven't learned the rules yet. The rules still are still kind of unwritten. It's We're all figuring out this is a huge puzzle, which is pretty awesome. I think that's why, consistently, this is one of the books that I want to read first, yeah. is to try to figure out the puzzle. Did you also notice that we get to hear Spark speaking their actual language? Whenever he's surprised or hurt, he's not speaking yeah. English? Yeah. It seems like just random sound effects, but I think that's their actual language. How they actually language. talk. Get, having Astrid yeah. sit up with her towel, fuck all this shit, I'm back, bitches. That was pretty epic. I like when they're interrogating the brother and she keeps tapping the bullet wound. <laughs> She's trying to get him to talk. <laughs> She's like, I told them not to give you any anesthetic, any painkillers. Yeah. So I'm just gonna poke in this wound. It is fucked up. The art on this, oh man, I swear, John Davis Hunt draws such clean, amazing images. I am totally impressed with that. I want to know where she's going on holiday. That thing she found that she came back with is what oh, they yeah. end up zapping Spark with. The that ball. little glowing ball where she's like, I'm not sure if it's explosive. That's what's in the clean. Yeah, the glowing orb. I mean, that weird ship thing that nobody else could see, obviously, that she could see was part machine, part giant hive. Yeah, yeah it was weird. Okay be horned piece of shit or something yeah so i'm assuming that she got that from there and maybe whatever powers that is is that orb yeah maybe that's why she's being hunted she stole it i really did feel bad for first spark i mean and the other thing i was wondering about is when he came out of her out of astrid he's all fucked up is he and it says that you know there's death everywhere so is it just because she was dying and that would what happened to anybody you went into or is there something about astrid that is death to them yeah, i was wondering that too because she was almost at death's door because he was all like grayed and like huddled he was pulling like the et and the yep. river kind of look changed color and huddled in on himself thought he was just going to get sick and maybe die just from that alone. Well, he says he caught death. I mean, he's also talking, I think he's talking about both getting the bullet fragments. I kind of thought it was like a muddling of both, that if he'd gotten both caught death by getting the bullets out of her, he'd also caught death pulling her off of death's door is what I, that's how I interpreted it. I figured if that was something that would happen anytime you went to someone who was dying, that he would have known that. Yeah. But his objection to going in wasn't that he thought it was going to hurt him. Mm -hmm. It was that he couldn't trust her, you know, that she was going to hurt him. (laughs) Oh, he's right. (laughs) He was right. She didn't even bat an eyelash at it either. She's like, I owe you my life. Kill him. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, thank you for saving my life. Fry the fuck out of him. I was like, you cold bitch. (laughs) Grabs the towels, like whatever. What's the thing with Astrid? You never know. Is she good or bad? Or is she doing a bad thing, but actually a bad person? She's very complicated. I think every issue I go back and forth to whether she's good or... It's really hard to tell. Good storytelling. Yes. (laughs) 
Well, I love it, as always. I will give it four and three quarters fried sparkies. So I really liked it. The clean, it was interesting. It was unexpected in part. I gave it four and a half clim clams. The thing he kept on repeating, totally right? Clim clam. yeah. yeah. It just keeps on getting better. And I also took the liberty of, before this week, before I even knew that Clean Room was back on, I went back through and went through the whole series, which it just keeps on getting better. This is definitely, uh, I'll give it four and a half finger bullet wounds. I will give it four and a half harvest times at the meat hospital. Oh, nice, nice. <laughs> the Ryan, did you see there was a flashback panel of the knives all yes. sticking up? I felt that was just for you. <laughs> I actually wasn't sure how I felt about that retro redoing of that. I, I'm still have mixed feelings about that. Didn't want to relive that. <laughs> no. Well, Ryan, moving on to another dark corner. Yes. So we have Batman number one from DC Comics, written by Tom King, pencils by David Finch, inks by Matt Spanning, colors by Jordi Belair. So this one is the start of Tom King's run on Batman, which I'm a big Tom King fan. I really like the way that he writes here. I think that this one is less Tom King and more Batman. You can see there are elements of his writing in here, but it's not quite as strong of his signature on it. He did a bunch of like press this week, and he said that this his run is supposed to remind you of the animated series. It's kind of the tone that he's going for, which I can see. So this one, this one's kind of about the kind of like the nature of Gotham. The plane that's coming in, they're coming in over Gotham, and you find out there's these terrorists that have stolen these surface-to-air missiles. They've caught most of them, but there's one guy who's out in the Narrows they're looking for, and Gordon and Batman are up on the roof talking. They see a plane fly overhead, and that's when the guy fires the surface-to-air missile at it, and, you know, it blows up part of the plane. So the plane is going into, like, a controlled crash. It's not spinning around or anything, but it's, it's losing altitude. And they also have lost their hydraulics, so they can't lower their landing gear. Gordon turns back around, tells something to Batman, and of course, he's gone. So the classic Batman just disappears. He's developing a plan here to to save the plane. In the course of saving this plane, he's going to basically have to die. First, he's like, call Superman, call Green Lantern, people who can fly and could actually, you know, in just a second, save the plane. But they're all busy, so it's up to Batman, but he has a plan. So he and the guy in the yellow suit, who's not quite a Robin or a Batman, I don't know exactly what he is yet, but they're working out a plan where he needs to get the Batmobile and the speed that he needs to go to intercept the plane. So he goes to this bridge. This kind of reminds me of in Pulp Fiction, where they're talking to the wolf, and they say how long it is to, you know, Batmobile pulls up. They're like, you have 53 seconds to get there. Like, it shows the Batmobile like 52 seconds later, he's at the bridge. Drives off the bridge, going really fast, and like ejects out of it, and lands on top of the plane and that's where he starts using his bat grappling hook to kind of repel all around the plane and put these booster things on the wings so that he can slow the descent of the plane and it's weird because it's almost like he's kind of like lassoing the plane at the same time so it's kind of an interesting image and then all the people in the plane are you know freaking out that they're gonna die and you know why the hell did it have to be gotham if this was metropolis you know superman would save us but you know, who the hell do we have in Gotham to, to save us? Messed up. The plane is set to crash Glee in their version of Times Square and hit this big office building. And there's like a rally or festival outside somewhere. So there's tons of people in there. So life is going to be catastrophic. So Batman figures out that he can change where it's going to hit to the river. And if they hit the angle just right, the water and the plane will absorb a lot of the energy and everyone should should be fine. So he, and he's got to steer the plane through like the skyscrapers of Gotham. So he has to cut the engines to power to one of the little boosters to have the plane like tilt so it can fly through the two 
two buildings, which was pretty awesome. I thought that was a nice little image of the plane going sideways through the space between two buildings. And then you have kind of that moment where Alfred is kind of analyzing the plan and he comes to realize that they're going to hit that water at that just right angle that Batman has to stay there on the plane to guide it in, you know, to the last second. But he won't have the impact shielded from him and it's going to kill him. You know, Alfred's telling Batman this and he's like, yes, I know. I know that's what's going to happen. But, you know, Gotham is my city and it's my responsibility to to do it. And then there's like a little panel where it kind of like broke my heart where they're talking and Batman's telling him all the plans that he has. Of course, Batman has plans for everything, right? That he's got instructions written out for everyone. And then there's the line where he's like, would my parents have been proud? Is this a good death? Mm-hmm. I thought those were really, really great little panels there where it cuts in really close to their face. You can see Alfred's face and Batman's face as they, they know he's going to die. So then at the very end, these two mysterious golden age looking superheroes come in underneath the plane and lift it up. You know, Batman doesn't die. He was fully prepared to do so, but he doesn't have to. And they say that they're Gotham and that this is their city. So that to me is setting up something interesting. You know, who owns Gotham? <laughs> Enter generic silver age fucking superhero. <laughs> yeah. They look kind of goofy, very golden age or silver age heroes. Like they look like 1930s, heroes to me. So there's going to be, I think, a battle for the the soul of Gotham. And I was also trying to figure out the person who hunts down the terrorist with the missile and kills him. Who is that? Like, he has this line where he says, observe the clock, Batman. I was thinking it was uh... Rorschach. Yeah. That's who I think it might Mm. be. Because, you know, the Watchmen are here. So I'm like, is that Mm. Calendar Man? Or is that Rorschach? Is that... Yeah, that was my other thought. Because I thought it might have been Gotham at first, but then I went and looked and the guy's clearly wearing a trench coat, not a cape. Lots some mysterious stuff going on. This nailed the tone of Batman. You had kind of the gravitas of it. What is a man who doesn't have any powers? What can just your will and planning accomplish? I I thought it was a really, I enjoyed the issue a lot. What did you guys think? I thought that that panel that you mentioned, the one about the, is this a good death? That was an awesome panel. That whole thing, all the lines on that were really great. I I think that was probably the best part of the whole thing. (laughs) She took the word right out of my mouth. (laughs) I didn't particularly care for the plane going through the buildings. It's a little 9-11 and it kind of made me uncomfortable. I think they're definitely going for that imagery. Gotham parallels New York. Maybe maybe not. Maybe don't. Sometimes I feel maybe, maybe don't. Yeah. Seems to, you know, ring true to Batman. I don't know so much if going for animated series, this may have been a little darker and weirder than the animated series because the animated series was pretty damn dark. The other thing with Tom King is he said that he wanted to explore Batman being insane, how you balance insanity going into that world and coming back out of it. And there's a line on here where he's, you know, Alfred, once I'm stable, do something. He's like, waiting for you to be stable, sir. (laughs) (laughs) That that was nice. Alfred has always been one of my favorite parts of Batman. I can't even say it enough. My whole notes on this comic was those panels. I'm very happy that you, both Christina and Ryan, have also commented about it. That is what stands out. Everything else is just kind of like, uh. That's the heart. That one in the middle... The middle at the bottom is heartbreaking how Alfred is drawn. It's just like, it's like so much emotion and it's so well done and so powerful. And yeah, is this a good death? I mean, like that series of panels and that... And those questions are just like, oh, it's heartbreaking. It, it just makes the book. That yeah. is this issue to me. It's- I almost wish that the book ended there. Yeah. I think that would have been a good ending point. It's just that yeah. would have been a nice cliffhanger, yeah. yeah. Give it, give us a cliffhanger. Yeah. That would be great. Because honestly, those two people look weird. I don't know. Just ending at that panel and maybe the next panel being just like completely black would have been yeah. nice. Could have done without the plane rodeo. For me, like that part was a little bit too like far-fetched, I guess. You imagine the plane's probably 
traveling a couple hundred miles an hour. You know, wind shear alone would have blown little superhero Batman with his bat claws off right the fuck off. So that was a little bit much for me. But otherwise, I, I mean, I liked it. That scene where him and Jim Gordon are talking on the roof and then the, the missile fucking hits the back of the plane. That was like, oh my God, that's like mastery right there as far as like framing a scene. I didn't like how much time they spent on the the plane rodeo. I thought that, that was a little bit much for my taste, given what Batman is. They left lots of freaking clues going on. And then, yeah, you have Super Bro and Sidekick showing up in the end. I'm really yeah. curious what the fuck that's all about. I think as I think about it more, I think that Observe the Clock is they're talking about the 15 minutes to midnight for Watchmen, I think. I think that's uh, what that's referring to. Uh, I just yeah. I would give it four and a half good deaths. I gave it four and a half. Still waiting on for you to be stable, sir. I will give it four and a quarter ticking clock. I'm going to give it four and a half plane rodeos. That's what I'm giving it. Fuck it. Part was kind of almost too, like, uh, Adam West <laughs> Batman for me. Yeah. Yeah, yes. he was literally right. I appreciated the, the absurdity of the situation yeah. and that Batman had a plan for it. He didn't stop the Batmobile to go and get those boosters. He just has them in the trunk. Batman <laughs> has a plan for everything. It's absurdly as what you expect in Batman, because you're right. It is very Adam West, but that is still Batman. I'm going to lasso that plane. Hell yeah. Batman is that asshole player in your D&D group that yes. wants to come up with crazy shit to do for everything. Exactly. <laughs> Who hands you like the three-page written-out explanation for how it's going to work with references to the rules. You're like, oh, fuck you. And he always rolls a fucking 20. Yep, that's <laughs> it. Always, fucker always rolls it's a It's playing Kung Fu Action Theater. The guy has like all the cool points and always rolls them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So you're taking us over to Image. I am. The Beauty, number eight. Image Comics, written by Jeremy Hahn and Jason Hurley. Art by Brett Wydell. And the editor, shout out to my friend, Joel Enos. The Beauty, it opens up with um, a sniper killing off some fools. Pretty well, mind you, but (laughs) one does get away. And they pursue and then there's next snap in happening back and there's a lot of flashbacks of this person talking about what they see as beauty and how they see themselves as beautiful you know them standing in a mirror looking at them wearing a slip their mother's i can remember doing that you know the slips you think they're all sexy or whatever and stuff that's growing up you think they're really cute i remember playing dress up and stuff like that it progresses it's the story of following a story of a transgender woman it really rings true that if you see a lot of those it gets better stories or like the kids on facebook that have the signs and they tell about what happened to them as kids and having a supportive parent and everything like that which I just recently was watching some of those those have been circling a lot based off things that happened with Orlando and all that I think this goes back to what beauty has a really interesting social commentary on beauty and sexuality built into their storytelling it keeps going it talks about how she had changed schools her mom was really supportive but then at 16 her mom got killed in a freak accident and knowing that in our system trying to explain who she is and what she is wouldn't necessarily work. Not everyone's going to be supportive. Not everyone's going to be nurturing. Right. There's no place for her. Yeah. There's no place for her. So she leaves and she found like a diner that took her in that would pay her under the table and let her work. And through this job, she meets this gentleman Park, who's basically I don't know. He's running 
Charlie's Angels assassins, basically. The Viper hit squad. Basically, it sounds like he has kids that he uses as hitmen. Talking about this other guy, he's like, oh, he wasn't one of Park's kids, but he sometimes did jobs for us. Like a Fagin for assassins. And so she, this um, Park's guy had, I guess, been a regular at the diner. Some kids from her high school, before she changed when her mom let her start taking hormone therapy and basically live as a woman, knew her as Isaiah, and basically started calling her out and, like, teasing her. She left to go work in the back, and as she's taking out trash at the end of the day or trying to leave work. They basically jump her. She fights back. Basically, that's when Parks recruits her. Goes back to modern times. She's back at the diner having finished this job. This guy's family and how comfortable she is. And she's like clearly joking with him like, yeah, yeah, I, I miss, you know, it almost went tits up, basically, is what I believe what she said. Yeah. Joking back with her, you know, oh, you miss. It seems like a natural good repertoire that you, would, I could see that happening. He says, I have a really easy job for you. It's really simple. It's the guy with the good hair. The job seems simple. They go on they're talking and she's clearly like, flirting this guy it comes near the end is they're out to dinner and she's telling the story how and at first i thought it was going to be him because he has the really nice hair but ends up being her saying how oh and i decided to go contract beauty because it was easy to do which i thought was really interesting so if she does have beauty it made her into because you know the whole thing is it turns you into the most beautiful sexiest prime version of whoever you can be right and I was worried as I was reading this because I had a feeling like either like she was gonna get it or could get it. I'm like, well, if she's originally born male. Would it would it force you to be a super sexy male? So does it turn you into your ideal of the of beauty? And I thought, oh no, what if she gets it? Because I thought sexy long haired guy had it. And they were flirting. I thought, oh, no, what she gets it. All of a sudden, she turns into this really hunky guy all of a sudden. Hormone therapy or not. I was like, oh, my God, that'd be horrible for, for her. Right. Be trapped in, like, uber hunk body. But no, last panel, clearly, she is super hot. <laughs> and with her beauty and being a woman and then I'm, then my second question is like well make, did it make her just a woman then they don't show we don't get to see that they don't show but sexy time at the end so but I'm intrigued I'm like, I like seeing all the different aspects of beauty happening and I I like it because it makes me think I think like those questions like I was thinking oh what about this scenario what about this scenario and I really that's one thing I really do like about beauty as a series in general because I definitely think of it from different angles and different situations how it could be applied or not applied or used you know all that kind of stuff I'd like to hear what you guys thought. I like the writing on this. The writing is really strong. Absolutely hate the artwork. I think it's ugly, dirty, and such a departure from previous the way the beauty used to look and i don't like it at all it's not just that it's a different art style it's very different to me it's not very good art wise and that really ruins it for me like the script for this the writing is very very strong it's a very strong story but the writing just flushes it down the toilet for me i don't like it at all that's my opinion well the whole back question and answer was all about a new artist yeah different styles good i just like the new style not to look like shit <laughs> it looks like two yeah. different artists though because the there's the watercolor looking one and then there's the like line and pencil no one. same guy the same guy i actually like the watercolor version yeah i was about to say i, I like watercolor I like a, lot. a lot yeah that was really pretty I actually, yeah i thought the watercolor was nice the second to last panel before the boobies <laughs> the restaurant they go to the speckled sow is a play on a very famous restaurant in new york called the spotted pig and i thought that was really funny so whoever did that good on you it's a place where a lot of the chefs in new york 
artwork go? I dug it. I mean, yeah, I'm with Christina. I really like on the watercolor artwork. I was really digging on that. I felt it was really done, well done, because there's like a certain style that they use behind it that I dig. Just their overall use of shading, the choices on where they place their watercolors and where they don't. For me, like, was a, a really interesting thing to, to look at, and I enjoyed the way particular method that they used with that. I wasn't so hot on uh, one point in the story where it looks like they're kind of doing the same thing, but it, I mean, it's obviously on using a digital medium. I don't know if the other ones were. The other ones would look like actual, like, hand-painted uh, watercolors. And then there's a certain section where it's not, and it's obviously somebody's using a computer. And I don't know, you know, it's cool when people do that. It's still, it doesn't come out as well because it's very difficult to really, like, effectively shade on computer. You know, I see a lot of people try, and there's very few artists I know that are, that are really good at using that digital medium to get it all in one shot. My first time actually reading Beauty, so I didn't really know what the fuck was going on. It was a pretty cool little story, though. This one really stands alone, not only from the rest of the series, but the whole concept of the beauty has very little to do with this. I mean, plot-wise, what the beauty actually is has almost nothing to do with this issue, except towards the very end. The story's strong, though. You don't need to know any of that to think that this is a very well-written story. And it was interesting that in the background of the humping scene, they threw some uh, condoms and lube in there. Hey. And she has the beauty, so. (laughs) The beauty is a sexually transmitted disease, so that should help you. (laughs) Oh, gotcha. That would have been helpful. Yeah, the comic book starting out where people are just starting to learn that they'll spontaneously combust. (laughs) Yeah, really. And they didn't know that before. And there's people covering it up. You're really hot. But you're really hot. And there's a segment of the society that is against the beauty and riot. It's an interesting series. Gave it solid four. You missed? I'll give it a three and a half slips. I'll give it three and a half slices of pie. I will give it two and a half. The story deserved better art. We have Black Eyed Kids coming up. Black Eyed Kids number three, Aftershock <laughs> Comments, written by Joe Pruitt, art by Simon Krudansky, and colored by Guy Major. <laughs> Black Eyed Kids number three. First of all, like the first couple of panels in this are just freaking awesome. You see the main character. Uh, she is basically in this like cabin, and her mom is waking her up, drags her outside, and like you can see all these other people dragging their daughters over and then she like comes over and her dad oh hey princess you ready for this are you ready to change the world yes daddy i'm ready the dad turns away in like a real creepy ominous fashion like you know something bad's gonna happen she wakes up out of nowhere with the fucking creepy ass black-eyed kid leader the child going who's ricky which that was like a real creepy fucking way to start off yeah when you wake up and some creepy ass little kid is sitting at the edge of your bed <laughs> staring at you and it knows what you were dreaming about is like you know here's here's your writer's tools and hand like the 1980s word processor typewriter <laughs> and she's like what am i gonna chisel this in stone here or what he's like so remember i'm the one person that can decides what kind of cow you are and i can change it at any second <laughs> <laughs> oh god, that little <laughs> fucking bastard. He's so evil. It's a great line. He's so fucking evil. She asks him, you know, if she can go back to her apartment and get her laptop. Then you have the dad guy who who his daughter is in the hospital. He's talking with his girlfriend. They're talking about how basically showing like things that she's found on the internet regarding black eyed kids, which is kind of funny because one of my friends I was telling about this comic book, he was telling me about how like I guess some sort of big internet 
internet thing. I'd never heard of it before. I've never heard of it before. It's an urban legend. Mm. Yeah, I never heard of it. She's talking about how she found all kinds of stuff about black guy kids, and he's like, and nobody says anything. And she's like, well, it's like Bigfoot, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Would you believe it before yesterday? <laughs> they also find out that his ex-wife's first husband is this big conspiracy theorist regarding that whole thing. You know, they're going to hunt him down. You know, they're like jumping around in the story a lot, so it gets kind of confusing at one point or another. Cop go in. It's like the neighbor, I think, who was... Remember when, the, when those kids show up and they're like, can we use your phone? And he's like, yeah, come on in. Oh, that's right, that's right. So there's a police officer that finds dead body and stuff like that. Go like, oh, what the fuck's going on here? Because apparently he's been seeing all these things that are going on because they're like calling in, asking him, hey, can you go do this? Can you go take care of that? Some of these dogs, Larynx has been crushed. Then, of course, the original Black Eyed Kid that we had seen a couple episodes back who had murdered the people in the uh, gas station and given himself up to the cops. He's hanging out in prison, so, of course, he goes and it looks like he's going to grab one of the, like, the uh, biggest thugs in the jails. Guy's, like, talking shit to one of the other guys and basically has, like, I assume it's a porno mag. <laughs> I think it's, like, Maxim or something like that. I don't think you can have actual porno in prison, but... Yeah, because it caused too many fights, so it's, like, the next best thing. It's Just like, like this, the, yeah. It's, like, the bra of the fucking Macy's. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you squint good enough. Mrs. Butterworth or Land Lakes will do wow. it, you know? Any point wow. in the storm, any point in the storm. <laughs> you never really want to ask a man who has been born before the internet, like, what sort of things happened during high school. Just don't ask. Those poor National Geographic. You don't want to know some of the depths the teenage boy before the internet would, would, would go to. <laughs> There's a local radio DJ, and I love his description how, like, there'd be, like, a picture that might have, like, side boob or something like that. And he said that he would literally, like, try to turn his head like he thought he could peek around, like, the picture. Like, Oh, I still catch myself doing that. <laughs> when I was a little kid, they would have shampoo commercials where the woman's, like, shampooing her hair, and I would go up to the TV and try and look down. I didn't know exactly why I wanted it. I knew I did. <laughs> and I just love that description. Like, I think I can see more. The one black guide kid that's uh, in prison goes after, like, the big tough kid in jail. I assume that they're in an underage jail. The lady who's chronicling the whole thing, Meredith, she is, when she goes back home, she tries to pull a fast one and stab the kid that's with her because the, the young black eyed kid sends a kid with her to, like, watch her. She fools it and grabs a pair of scissors, stabs in the back, tries to run, and then guess who's out there is the evil little bastard children of the corn of course he was expecting her to yeah children of the corn uh, holding her little cat he's got her laptop smashes that to show her that he means business kills her cat I'm like you did and throws the dead cat body at her feet yes fucked up he kills the cat motherfucker goes to says he's going to the hospital get his little girl then you flash forward to the hospital there's some black eyed kids standing outside some dumbass says hey come on get inside or get out of the way we all know that you don't invite anybody in ends with this real ominous looking picture of the kid hovering over his sister because he's got he's still got to kill off the rest of his family it was awesome really dark really scary interesting want to see more the artwork was fucking stellar as always i think this time they really got it even better i will give it four scissor stabs i'll give it uh four and a half black-eyed bastards i'm gonna give it four and a half series catalogs hey so our next book is i hate fairyland issue number six by image comics written by scotty young art by study young uh, colors by Jean Francis Bullio. Really, uh, the original title of this book, and which I still buy the alt covers are specifically because it says, Fuck Fairyland, which is the original title that Scott Young wanted to use. We start off with a very cute, sweet uh, little 
bumblebee teddy bear. <laughs> It, basically in a like battle dome between this giant green fucking monster and huge sweet little pink fluffy teddy bear basically just rips out this creature's yeah, it heart. shifts into like its monster form <laughs> <laughs> but all of its monster form is it just getting teeth like <laughs> it's still cute but it's just like ah so he destroys that and of course makes now queen gertrude very very happy this issue is gertrude of thrones which is kind of funny all of this, though, really is kind of just actually, like, her her dream. She she does have the throne. through the last uh, story arc, she killed the Snow Princess or whatever it was. And so by doing that, she ended up becoming the queen. But she is bored as fuck doing this job, does not like it, tries to find something else. I love that she describes her anger and stuff like that as uh, K-A-T-W-M-S. <laughs> TSD, which has killed anything that wakes me traumatic stress disorder, which I'm fairly certain I have, because I am not a good morning person in any way, shape, or form. A great description of her. You know, she's bored, she's sitting in an empty throne room, she hates it. She basically goes around and sees what other kind of trouble she can stir up with her trusty sidekick. The best part of this is, you know, she gets bored, she's back, and she's basically going insane and filling her jars with pee, which is... That's the Howard Hughes go-to for insanity. Is I'm going to pee in bottles and save it. (laughs) Her sidekick, Larry, and I don't watch Game of Thrones, so you can all shit on me for that, but I understand the winter is coming, and that was hilarious. Winter's coming line, which he's actually referring to a person, not winter, as in the Game of Thrones. The head of HR who's coming to see her. Yeah, so she's getting her review on her her queendom, I guess, and obviously she... uh, She's failed and she is no longer, you know, they reviewed her duties as a queen of fairyland and they found her a failure and fears for the future. And so she's like, oh, so you're going to kill me? And they're like, no, you're just fired. You can go roam free and do whatever, you know, whatever you like. And so I love that image of her like skipping off with the big explosion behind her. And just fucking the crown goes flying like, fuck this shit. Yeah, like, that's my flip. life. Yeah, that's it. I'm out. And uh, so now she's off. To, now she's off to go figure out what she's going to do in fairyland because she's still can't get out. It's a new arc, so it's kind of fun to see what happens now. Her first story was, you know, trying to get out of Fairyland, not happening, becomes the queen of Fairyland, hates it, but she's still stuck there. So what next are we going to get to see her do and kill? Which is probably, you know, what the next issue is going to be all that. It's my fun, guilty pleasure. I love this. It's hilarious. It's very, like, Ren and Stimpy and all those (laughs) silly cartoons that, you know, with violence. But this is a little more violent than that kind of violence because there's blood and guts and explosions and all that kind of good stuff. I love Scotty Young's sense of humor. If you read at the back the uh, the nice letter that he wrote about, you know, what he what he's doing about Fairyland and stuff like that. And I love his uh, description of himself. He's changed it a desk, drinking, rubbing well alcohol, uh, weeping about his life he had before fictional characters basically took charge of his uh, character. So this is, this is my goofy pleasure. What did you guys think? I love the shit out of it. <laughs> <laughs> At first, I was like, oh, what is this goofy title going to be? When I first started cracking into it, I was like, oh, here's some weird Christina shit going on. <laughs> and it's definitely fucking weird, but it's my kind of weird. I cracked up the whole damn time with this whole thing. Loved it. The The artwork is the best combination of cutesy along with violent gore. <laughs> He's really oh. creative in his monsters that he makes. Yes. That's the funnest part, is looking at the background and seeing all the weird little shit that's floating around. He does some good stuff. There looks like in one scene there's a, like, Velma from Scooby-Doo. Yes. <laughs> I saw that. Just randomly. 
You're like, that's totally Velma. And that was the, the hipsters of Oakland. No, they're Portland, dude. It's yeah. the hipsters of Orpland. Oh, well, I interpreted it as Oakland because it was so close to, if you look at the spelling. The fucking plague of hipsters has spread everywhere. Maybe they just combined them both. They're like, okay, we need to get Oakland and Portland into this. <laughs> <laughs> I love that he's just like, just a beard. Yeah. <laughs> a beard and mustache. Yeah. And a man bun along with it. Oh. It's like, how can we make this guy is like the king of hipsters? <laughs> I love the part with all the little bottles, you know, getting taken. <laughs> and they're like, oh, I hear the queen is totally crazy. And she's like, oh, more bottles for me to pee in. They're like, yeah. no. Not me. <laughs> <laughs> There's a picture of her going to grab one of the bottles, and you can see their little freaked out faces on <laughs> Oh, my God. So oh, it's pretty great. There's nothing that I don't love about this. I love his sense of humor. I love his artwork. He's done a lot. He's, he did Rocket. That was one of his things that is probably best known for of recent. I love his baby Marvel characters. All of his artwork is fun and cute. And I love that he has this kind of twisted sense of humor. You know, having a young girl stuck in fairyland trying to escape and just fucking killing everything. Kind of like almost a, a Deadpool meets Wizard of Oz and all that kind of kid stuff. That's kind of one of those weird twisted all sorts of stuff mixed together to make this amazing. I want to give it, I do love this so much, I'm going to give it four and a quarter pup of buffle truffs, which was the uh, the cute little pink guy. <laughs> I will give it three and a half fluff my life's. The best swearing in this book. I love yeah. the swearing. I'm going to give this four belittled piss bottles. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was wrong in all the right ways. <laughs> it hits a lot of marks. So I'm taking us back over to, to DC, to Green Arrow number one from DC Comics, uh, written by Jim Percy, art by Otto Schmidt. So we read the Green Arrow Rebirth, and I really liked it, so I wanted to read issue number one, and I really liked this one as well. This one is basically about betrayal of people that you think you can trust who end up betraying you. So he and Black Canary are hunting down Nosferatu guys, the the underground men. They look like Nosferatu. Yeah, so the underground men are basically doing these human trafficking with children in Seattle. And Oliver and Dinah have found them, and they're, like, busting up their ring. So they do, like, a bunch of cool violence. They shoot a bunch of arrows into people. Black Canary does her little scream. And then you have Green Arrow's little sister, who is also there uh, helping them out. And she has a kind of a cool part where she, like, fires this arrow up in the air. And then you're like, well, why the fuck did she do that? And then she's talking to somebody, and the arrow comes down and hits them, <laughs> which I thought was pretty pretty cool. And then you see Ollie is, like, talking to the police and, like, the guy who's the night manager who's been taking bribes, and he's he's paying them all. And Dinah is kind of giving him this look like, what the fuck are you doing, you know, with these people? He's trying to basically get everyone to, to work for him. And she points out that, you know, all of his relationships are built on money. There's also a point where they're kind of arguing back and forth about whether that's a good idea. And then the little sister is like, oh, will you two just get a room? And then, like, the next panel is them waking up the next morning in his room. <laughs> I love she's like, when he starts trying to talk, she's like, just don't say anything. <laughs> you're, you're much less annoying when you're not talking. And I was like, oh, man, how many times have I said that? <laughs> you know? It was a little reversal, oh, no right? no comment. <laughs> I've never 
Harry would have said that to someone at some point. So they have this like kind of like cute little scene of like domestic bliss with Ollie and his sister, you know, big brother, little sister relationship they have. And they're kind of going around uh, Seattle and he's showing uh, Black Canary, you know, all the good things he does with his money, like, you know, the homeless camps and the children's hospital and like all of that kind of stuff. And then he goes and that's where she points out that all of his relationships are built on money. That there's, you know, other than his sister, there's no one who has a relationship that's not based on money. And he's like, well, what about you? And she's like, I wouldn't call this a relationship yet. <laughs> so I, I like that she puts him in check with his shit all the time, that she doesn't let him get away with it. I really like that about relationship. So he goes to the this, and the guy who's running the company for him, who's like his surrogate father or uncle, is telling him that, oh, you know, I'll explain everything to you later, but I'm really busy right now. And that's when you see he basically pulls out the evil masks that they've been trying to hunt down and he summons like the council of evil basically and <laughs> six assassins on him so it kind of cuts in between oliver and and that little council meeting where he's fighting uh shadow who's an old green arrow villain that's actually has had uh, kind of like a love-hate relationship with with ollie so there's these pretty cool scenes where they're fighting with like their bows and arrows and they're just totally drenched in blood and then the little sister uh wanders in and he's like, get out of here. So he's trying to like protect her. And that's when she picks up the arrow and shoots him in the back. And she's like, oh, mother, it's taken you so long to come back. I've been waiting for you. Oliver is just getting betrayed by everyone he knows here. They're shooting him in the back, metaphorically and quite literally. It's kind of interesting to see his world crumbling down around him. The last panel is uh, the two women standing over him with all the arrows sticking out of him. So I like how dark this is. Mm-hmm. I like that they're when they shoot people with their bow and arrows... That it's really bloody. These aren't like trick, like boxing glove arrows or like smoke bombs or whatever. It's, you know, an arrow that goes through your leg. So I really enjoyed this very much. I'm I'm glad I I picked this one to read. What did you guys think of Green Arrow? I loved it. Where they're going with the storylines, interesting. The banter is fucking hilarious during the fight scene. You know, she's sitting there cracking jokes about the family, and then he's like, What about your badass brother? (laughs) She's like, Nah. Really good banter back and forth. They've made all the characters really interesting so far, so it's definitely a fun read. The artwork's fucking stupendous. I really like how they do their villains in this. It's like, their villains just are like, they just look so evil. I also <laughs> like that the images at night are, again, very similar to like how Black Eyed Kids does its, well, the entire book for Black Eyed Kids, but it's like it's like a dark page with color on it. It's not like a white page with black put on top of it. Yeah, the artwork really, really stands out on this one for me. I really like it. So Christina is still hating on DC, but this one is really this one is really good. Uh, it's, in, it's interesting. The characters are interesting. They look modern. The last several panels are are the best. Where it's the dark shadows. That is like exactly the second half of the book to me looks way better than the first half, and then maybe it is just because it's darker. But it looks way more defined. And the blood when the arrow goes through his arm, you actually like see blood dripping off the arrow. I also like that as they're shooting him with arrows, he's pulling them out of his body and shooting them back at them. It's pretty rad. That's a bad motherfucker right there. So I will give it four shadows. I will give it three and a half bloody arrows. I'm going to give it four cigars shot out. So I guess we're going to head over to Marvel and get goofy political. I was a little disappointed. When I chose this, I was like, this could either be really good 
really shitty. I kind of got my wish. So I have Vote Loki number one, Marvel Comics, written by Christopher Hastings, art by Langdon Ross, colors by Chris Chuckry. So in this one, you know, they show they start off by showing like this big Avengers fight that happens and a building gets knocked down. Iron Man turns around and, you know, gives money to gives money to the city to uh, rebuild, you know, the damage they've done, you know, kind of like being like socially conscious of like what they're doing one of the people that lives there is this little girl and you know uh, don't have anywhere to go because basically the building takes forever to to rebuild so then flash forward later where you have the the mayor talking and stuff like that and he's talking about you know fresh faces and democracy and so the little girl is now you know an adult and so she starts asking him questions about how he accepted funds from the Avengers for rebuilding and then had only used part of that on the budget for the construction and then diverted the rest into uh, his own reelection. So he's like grilling her on that and says how, you know, she's got like photocopies of the transactions and whatnot. And then later on, you have these two candidates who are. Well, I like where she's like, I'll put your denial to the uh, the receipts that I have. Which was great. So then there's this re-election campaign going on. They have these two candidates and bitching about how they don't have a, like a real choice. They're just more of the same and whatnot. Sound familiar? The same lady is in the crowd and she's trying to write a story on this. And she's talking with a person in the room who's kind of like saying the same thing. It's like everything in their spin and you know how these politicians are like you know just lying through their teeth and stuff like that she notices that some of the members of the press have different looking press badges than her and then she sees somebody with a gun surprise surprise uh hydra or a bunch of hydra agents bust out their weapons and start shooting people the person that she was talking to just happens to be loki loki basically hits them with this giant like snake that fucking you know knocks them all out makes this big line about how like both liars and whatnot and people are like asking what what candidate he's voting for and he's like they're both liars so does it all have the guts to lie right to your face that's what he ends up saying as he starts talking about how well you know if i was to run well then at least i'd lie to your face because you know he's god of lies and tricks and whatnot next thing you know like everything's taking off on the internet and people you know on twitter like the last couple of weeks there's been so many good references to social media in comics i've been loving that shit but so everybody's talking about like loki running for president and you know he keeps on going no no i'm not gonna do that you know but at the same time he's got like polls going up and he's going around he's having like interviews and oh yeah the the meme with him in there (laughs) was fucking great like he's going on like talk shows and stuff and like talking about how oh yeah well no i don't i don't want to run and i'm not planning on doing any of that stuff and but then it's like you could see that he's slowly like leaning towards it every time because people keep on pushing him he ends up on a talk show j jonah jameson just basically of course not able to pin him down because he's a god of lies so (laughs) lady who is the reporter ends up calling in mentions that oh by the way you know i know what you do because you were the person that the avengers destroyed my neighborhood with and da, da, da. and he's like oh but that was old loki that wasn't me <laughs> he actually like appears in her apartment and then like offers her a chance to to basically write about his campaign he's like you know you could write whatever you want good bad whatever and offers to like bring her down and show her how the whole operation goes he brings her down and then of course when she shows up he's actually in a female form so that he could you know, thought that that would be, like, more comforting to her or something like that. Well, like, the Mists, I mean, Loki is male, but he also fathers, like, all the monsters, too. Or gives birth to, you know, Fenris and the Serpent and, like, all those, you know, those are Loki's children. 
The funny shit is, yeah, the, the one panel where they have, like, one of the people who's making the calls, she's kind of, like, dressed like a hippie, talking all crazy on the phone, like... Loki will be playing flame that destroys... We must all burn at Loki's touch. Yeah, she yeah. goes off. Oh, then Loki's like, uh, stick to the script a little bit more. Uh, calm it down a little bit. You know, it's I feel multiple ways about it because the whole thing, basically Loki trying to get elected... And then, of course, you know, Thor shows up in the end asking, what the fuck? Uh, because Loki, like, changes her article that she writes up. I feel really torn about this because it's funny. They bring up some good points in it. And like I said, the social media references are fucking hilarious. I don't know. It's I just feel like there's a lot missing with it. I don't know how you guys felt about it. But, yeah, it just feels like they could have done a lot more with it. And there's... There's some, there's just something missing in it, and I'm not too crazy about the artwork either. The artwork's, you know, the, yeah. the artwork's kind of simple and dumb. I couldn't get beyond the artwork. Yeah. I hated it. Yeah, I did not like it at all. I there's something with the way that he draws, like the women's face or whoever draws this draws the women's faces so freaking weird, like they don't look human. Yeah. To me, this reminded me a lot of, of like Mad Magazine because like it makes some observations, but they aren't very in depth. Like, it's just very kind of service observations about that all politicians are liars. And the art is just pretty fucking horrendous. And now that I'm looking at it, you're right. It's the male faces aren't that bad. Women's faces are horrible. Weird. It's really weird. It's really off putting. And I don't like how Loki is drawn either. Loki looks like a douchebag hipster. Definitely. Which I guess probably is just, I don't know, it's just weird. I don't like it. I don't like it. Not for me. I was on the same page with it. It was just like, you know, the artwork was just like, ugh. It was really subpar. Funny things in there, you know, like he's on basically what I assume is SNL and Fox News reference was great. And it's like they, they touched on some some decent points, but it's like they really didn't get like in depth. Of course, it's the first issue. So who knows? They might be winding up right now. Felt like a very surface level observation yeah. of, of U.S. politics. going to have to give this maybe like two and a half Hail Hydras. They just kind of fell short of the mark. I'm only giving it points because Thor is in it and Angela is in it. <laughs> Two. You get, an, you get one Angela and one Thor. <laughs> I will give it two pieces of shit. I don't know. I can't think of anything funny for it. No, it wasn't good. The writing was very, like you said, very surface level. The art is horrendous. It's just, it's not very good. So, those were the books we read this week. To check out our weekly pull list and other nerd shenanigans, go check out fourcolornerds.com or our Facebook page, Four Color Nerds. You can follow us on Twitter or on Instagram. You can find the podcast on iTunes and on Google Play Music. On Stitcher. On SoundCloud. And on Podcast Addict. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast and be sure to come back next week for another episode. Until then, keep reading, nerds. <laughs>